Hello and welcome to Money Beat Week. This is Eric Holm with Justin Lehart, Steve Russolillo, and Paul Vigna. This week we're talking about jobs, about consumer spending, and about why they seem to be telling two different stories. Your Buick certified service technicians would like you to think about something. And no, it has nothing to do with oil levels or brake pads or tire wear. They'd like you to think about the view from the window of the bed and breakfast you'll be visiting this weekend. Or the crust on the beef wellington you plan to make at your cooking class tomorrow. As the experts in Buick maintenance, they'd like you to think about the lyrics of the new song you just discovered on your drive to work. Or the sunset you plan to enjoy on the ride home. The Buick certified service experts would like you to think about anything but the maintenance of your Buick. That's their job. If you don't know worry-free service, you don't know Buick certified service. And now, experience it for yourself. Get a 5-quart Dexo synthetic blend oil change, 4-tire rotation, and 27-point inspection for $39.95 or less. Excludes full synthetic oil, tire balancing tax, and more than 5 quarts of oil extra. Most V6 and V8 engines and other select vehicles require more than 5 quarts of oil. Visit BuickCertifiedService.com for details and to find a participating dealer. So this week we learned that the number of job openings across the U.S. uh, reached a 13-year high in June. I think that was on on Tuesday, right? And and then on Wednesday we learned that the the retail sales just really aren't painting a a very good picture. So I, I'm confused as to how we reconcile this. Uh, we're we're seeing two different things here, right? I don't know if we're seeing two different things. Uh, I mean that that that's the issue. Is you look at the jobs reports and the headline numbers look good, right? And the unemployment rate is is lower, and that's good. But Again, and you know, we talk about this all the time. What kinds of jobs are being created? What are they paying? You know, what what's the underlying factor going on in the jobs market out there? And I think when you look at the retail sales, and that's what we got this month, and they were flat. People thought they'd be up a little bit. They were flat, and they've been down. The growth rate has been down. I think it's four months in a row now. They were weak in January, February, popped up in March, and they've been trending down. You know, I look. People are spending money. I mean, we're all spending money. You have to go out. You have to eat. You have to fuel. You know, like People are spending money. The question is, are people spending money at the kind of a rate that's going to really stoke the economy, to stoke the economic engine? And I don't, I don't think they have at, at all, and I don't think the retail numbers show anything different. And I think you, you have to acknowledge that a lot of the jobs that are being created are not really well-paying jobs. There are some that are well-paying. Uh, obviously, uh, the jobs that you know we occupy are, are excellent paying jobs. Are you lobbying, but, yeah. You're lobbying for <laughs> a raise again, aren't you? <laughs> but you know, there are too many jobs that don't pay enough money, aren't full time, are you know really kind of look. I don't, I'm not going to disparage anybody who's working. If you're out there working, that's great. But they're, they're just they're not the kinds of jobs that are going to get this economy really floating. That's what I think. And that's how I think you the, the two things are not telling a different story. Well, Justin, I, I'd like to get your take. What, what, what did you make of uh, this week's all, – all the, all the data that we got this week? What's your one takeaway here? I mean I, I think the one takeaway is this is an economy that's, that's growing. Um, it's not – maybe not growing as fast as people wish, but it's growing pretty well. And the job market is definitely hooking up. Um, I know that a lot of people have done this exercise of um, rooting through and uh, trying to argue that the jobs that are being created are somehow worse than the jobs that were created before. But um, 
I've actually had a hard time finding that myself. Um, so, you know, I think that the, the retail sales figures, it's sort of a volatile series. Um, and consumption seems to be okay. Um, we're still looking at, you know, the tracking estimates for GDP for the third quarter are still three-ish. So that's pretty good. Um, I guess I'm not, you know, that worried about the economy. I think there are other things to, you know, if you want to find things to worry about, there are other things to worry about right now. Such as? Um, Ukraine. <laughs> is it really is it really the something Mets? to worry about? The Mets? The, no, the Mets is something <laughs> to worry about. Uh, I, I mean, Justin, I don't think we're going to come to an agreement on this one in the next <laughs> 15, 20 minutes. But, uh, yes, the economy is growing. I mean, you know, I see the numbers out there. They're growing. Th- what kind of growth are we getting, and where's the growth coming from? I mean, that's that's the real question. And I'm going to say I, I will not believe that there's – you can – I will not think or believe that you can sign any kind of all-clear signal until I see the Fed start raising rates and see what happens when they start raising rates. Well, that's not they happening still, anytime soon. Well, of course not. But, it's but, not happening but, anytime it, it, soon. I think people are And that seeing. should tell you something that it's not <laughs> happening anytime soon. But what people are seeing, though, is, is that uh, – I mean we glossed over this, the jobs number, the jobs data that we got on Tuesday. But what we learned is that um, people – companies are looking to hire more than they have in a very long time. And we learned that, that workers also buried in there was a – well, not buried, but also in there was the fact that more workers are are willing to quit their jobs now, which means that they expect to be able to find something that's that's better paid relatively easily, right? So, are we at the start of some sort of acceleration for wage growth? Um, I mean, it's a really good question on wage growth because we haven't really seen it yet, and part of the argument there is that um, yeah, there are more openings and so forth. Um, but there's still – I mean this, is, this gets to the argument over how much slack there is in the job market. Like is the unemployment rate um, really reflective of how much slack is in the job market? You know, or are there tons of people who left the labor force who therefore aren't, aren't counted in the unemployment rate who are just itching to get back in and um, they will once, once the job market gets better? And the fact that wages – haven't really been going up that much. Um, and this is wages even if you compare sort of same type of job to same type of job. So it's not, you know, it's not like, Just an you know, aggregate it, number, an it's not like number. an aggregate number where, you know, it used to be, you know, college professors and now it's like short order cooks. So, yeah, it's not right. It's like, you know, comparing. I'm the sure there are a light. couple of them out there, too, by the way. Yeah, absolutely. It's bad, but it's, you know. Yeah. So, so. In any case, if we don't see the, the, the wage numbers go up, that, that really suggests that there is a lot of slack, that there are a lot of those sort of people in the wings uh, wouldn't be drawn into the labor market and that companies aren't seeing that kind of tightness. So, you know, what that means is that we could have pretty good job growth for a while without having wage inflation, um, without having the Fed get too worried. I'm sensing a butt's coming there, though. Um, uh, except you just stopped. <laughs> you know, I mean, I think <laughs> you were sensing that. Uh, yeah, well, I think I mean it, it, we're definitely point. we're definitely getting to the point where, you know, y- you have to think that, you know, companies are going to have to start um, paying more. Um, Why? You know, 
Well, j- just because of just because of the tightness, um, especially in, in in you know in some, it, it's not going to be sort of you know it's not across the board tight, right? But you have to think that as we have the job market get better, that some industries are going to experience you know for real tightness in uh, in workers, and they're going to have to pay more. You know, and I think you know we're obviously we're hearing tons of of, of people. You know, the business owners always complain about how tight the job market is. Oh, I can't find anyone. You know, it's like, well, how much are you paying? Oh, eight bucks an hour. It's like, oh, really? You can't find anyone. Um, you know, it's going to get to the point where if they're going to want to expand, if they're going to want to grow their business, they're going to have to pay more. There was an interesting piece in a competitor over the weekend about uh, trucking. Uh, the, the, the there are no interesting fleets. pieces in competitors. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mentioned it to Paul, and it, it, yeah. it turned out that Paul was a uh, was already intimately familiar with this uh, this subject. That the fact that um, uh, truck driving fleets are are really can't find anyone to do the work, but it, they also real wages in that industry have fallen for a long time. Yeah, they've been they've been under uh, a strain for a while. It's been going on. It's, it's a lot of it's a lot of different issues. Um, I wouldn't say I was intimately acquainted with it, Eric Holm, but I, I, I am familiar <laughs> with it. You know, I don't know if I'm the expert on it, but I know that they have a lot of they have a lot of issues. They've had a lot of restrictions put on them, uh, the kinds of things that they'll let the truckers do. Because look, you know, you drive 500 miles in a night, there's a pretty good chance you're going to get exhausted, fall asleep, and jackknife on the highway, and nobody wants that. So they put on a lot of safety restrictions that have kind of changed the nature of the job and, and the truckers. There was so much capacity that was lost during the recession. You know, the, the independents, not just, you know, the, the big companies, but the independents, a lot of it just disappeared and it hasn't come back. And you would think that would make things better, but it's really not. And like I said, I'm not uh, intimately acquainted with it. You asked me to do it off the top of my head. I can't exactly remember the details, but they, they have a labor problem and they have a wage problem. Uh, the, the nation's long haul truckers and you know, it's it's kind of specific to that industry. I don't think it really is indicative so much of what, what's going on in the wider world, except that I, I Justin, I, I, I hope that we do see some wage growth. I, I hope that we get some real wage growth. I mean, that's what we've been wanting. That's what you need to see. That is a real sign that the economy is growing on its own. It's growing organically and things are getting better. I hope that happens. Until I, it happens, I'm not just going to... You know, sit here and say, "Oh, I, it's going to happen," so I can't be worried. I would, I would actually think of it a little bit differently than that. Um, wage growth per se isn't the sign that the economy is 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 getting better so much as the job market. What wage growth is going to signal for us is that we've finally gotten the job market back to the 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 full employment, or we're getting it closer to that full employment state and we can understand sort of where full employment is. So in some respects, you could say that, well, if we have good job growth and we don't have a lot of wage growth for a while, that's pretty good because that means that that a lot of those people who left the job market really are going to come back. Um, and, and for the prospects of, of the economy going forward, we want a lot of the population to be working, not what we have now with labor participation rate down at 62% instead of the 66% that yeah. we had before. So so really I think you know it'll be a good sign if we see strong job growth and then the wages take a little while more to pick up. 
yeah, I think part of the problem is you. Except look at for these, reporters, we want. I mean, <laughs> right, right, let's right. face it. Uh, listen, the market for uh, criminally a, underpaid. Criminally <laughs> underpaid. The market for a good. And it's super tight. You're never going to find another another reporter. You you can't you can't put a, a price tag on a good reporter. <laughs> Uh, apparently you can. I, I think part of the problem is when you look at those numbers, that, that string of 200,000 job plus job growth that we've had, it, it sounds really great. But then you have to think about how much of that is just, you know, um, just keeping up with population growth. How deep is the hole that we're digging ourselves out of? You know, the, those things are. <clears throat> and then beyond that is anything that kind of indicates that the economy has got some growth going under its own steam. I just think those numbers sound good and they look good and they are good. I'm not saying they're not good, but I think we're still in such a deep hole that, again, until I see the Federal Reserve start to raise rates, and I know they're going to wait. I know they're going to wait until they're absolutely sure and there's no danger and they're going to let inflation get a little bit hotter. They'd rather be late than early. I get all that. But when you have the central bank running what is basically an emergency monetary policy for six years running, and they are at least another year away from changing it, I just don't see how you can sit here and be comfortable about where the economy is. Paul, well, likes, a, that, Paul likes to remind us that we're we're in a hole. Steve Rusalilla <laughs> likes to remind us that we're climbing out of it. Well, so go ahead, Steve. Well, I that's think that, Steve's young and optimistic. <laughs> no, but I think that that's an interesting point here, and it goes it sort of ties into what Justin wrote in his uh, "Heard on the Street" column today. Is you know, right now we're discussing whether the job market is improving, but retail sales are slowing. So, which one is really more important? And and you can debate that one all you want, but I think the bigger question, arguably perhaps the more interesting question right now is, when is the Fed going to raise interest rates? When is the economy going to be strong enough for the Fed to actually make a move? And if people are preparing for that eventual move, what does that mean for the markets? And so, and Justin, this is the exact theme that you wrote about today. Uh, would love to get your thoughts on what, you know, it, it, are, are we, are the markets setting themselves up for a repeat of 1994 right now? Yeah, I actually think that, I mean, I, I, so my argument is that things could be um, not as good a, a result for the markets as, as 94. And um, for the stock market, um, so go back to 94, the stock market actually did fairly okay. I mean, it was, it was, a, it was a flat year. It was a pretty flat year, right? Wasn't it up it like was a flat year. There were, there were some periods where, yeah, it was, it was down about a percent, but in, if you added dividends back, you actually gained a percent. There were some, some moments there when people were nervous, but it never really fell a ton. Um, and I think that the situation now is a little bit different, mostly because of, of this reach for, you know, the reach for yield or, or the, the, the need that, that investors have had from the stock market for it to be more bond-like or treating it more as a bond-like instrument. And, um, and, and companies have also done things to become more bond-like. So lots of share buybacks in addition to, to raising dividends and then some of the you know restructuring as a re restructuring as a, as a master limited partnership that kind type that type of thing it's all aimed at looking more like a bond so that's really good in this low rate low inflation environment but in a rising rate environment if stocks are more bond-like then they could be more vulnerable and then the other thing is just flat out valuation uh, stocks are more expensive now than they were back then if you look at sort of the cyclically adjusted P ratio um, like Robert Schiller does. 
But but back then though, so you had a relatively flat year in '94, and then '95. I'm not sure. Mark was huge. It was, so it was huge. Yeah. So that was the beginning of. Then you're looking at the the late '90s, when, the second half of the '90s, which right. were just huge, huge years for the market. But the difference now though is that we're coming off such huge years. So it's going to be tough to replicate that going forward, even when the Fed raises rates. No. Yeah, I think that's I think that's right. Especially and that gets back to that valuation thing. So. Um, the markets then had a, had a, a lower valuation to start from um, when the when the Fed was raising rate, and then also I mean let's not forget they 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 went completely nuts and uh, and we had a, a bubble so you know that that's not something that oh, we want to see yeah you I remember, remember that? that I know it didn't seem like it, it the nineties man it seemed like a big deal in. 2001 when we had the the you know 2000 2001 when we had the bust and then we then we had this other bubble so that just seems sort of tame in comparison but you know again you know we're just not going to see we we hope not to see that kind of insanity again um but we do hope to see the kind of economy that we had in the late 90s for sure and is it possible i mean anything's possible <laughs> uh, who knows? Yeah. I mean, right? I mean, if if, if you asked people back in '94, what's the economy? I mean, I'm sure people were writing all kinds of you know bearish things about how you know the economy was never going to be grow very well, or inflation was going to come roaring back, just like in the '70s, and you know. That, that's not what happened. We you know, never I do that. We never go back and look at what people said. Oh, I do. Do you? Oh, yeah. You should. <laughs> you should. You should go and and go through the archives and look at what some people said. It's hilarious. Uh, we should. We should publicize that more. We should. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know, like part what of were it, what were people saying exactly twenty years ago today? Like what? That would, that would be a good post. Or even a year yeah. ago. Even, you know. Yeah. We, we, you know. We, we. Everyone sort of seems to coalesce. Or three around. years. I mean, look at all yeah. these guys who were talking about him, how inflation was going to be, mm-hmm. you know, roaring back right. and and. And they're still writing it, and they get a free pass, even though four years ago they were talking about how we're going to have hyperinflation. It's crazy. And positioning themselves accordingly and being wrong. Yeah. You know, on the the thing about the economy, I would say you have to the, – the thing you have to look for, Steve, if you want to – you know, what happened in the 90s was the internet came around and sparked a big investment boom. If you're going to have a repeat of the 90s, what's going to be this this time's internet? And again, not to harp on a subject, but right now you have an economy that is mainly being powered by central bank monetary policy. And they're buying time because they want something to come around that is going to take the economy. I, I haven't seen it yet. I thought energy might have been it, but I, I don't think energy is going to be it. It's It's... It's good and for what it is, but I don't think it's going to be a boom for the entire nation. You, that's what you have to really keep an eye out for. What's going to be the thing that takes the economy? There's always like a fundamental thing that fuels the economy. What's going to be the thing? I don't think we've seen it yet. It's not Bitcoin? Uh, it could be Bitcoin. <laughs> I'm, not saying, I'm not saying it's not or it is. You know. I, early days. Early days. For I, think, I think we can think of a lot of good things that, that – and we could we could do a big list of, of, of great things that are happening. and. Energy independence is a big, big deal, um, and it matters for for lots of people, right? And it matters matters for manufacturing. It brings manufacturing costs down here. It makes it more sense to manufacture here. Um, it, it, you know, yeah, I, mean, I think it, I, matters listen, for prices. I don't disagree. I think it's a good thing. I, you know, I think it's a good thing. And but, when it comes to technology, I mean, there's sort of a continuum of technology. We we act like the internet was 
invented in in uh, <laughs> in in the mid nineties, and, By and Al it was huge. No, I, heard I know, story. but yeah, I mean, <laughs> really, I mean, think think of think of the kind of technology we have now. Like, let's let's go back to late, you know, let's go back to ninety nine, and 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 fire up, you know, our the browsers we were using then, and you know, the connections that we had then. And look at the websites we had then and, and, you know, think about mobile, which, you know, we didn't have then. We have a ton more now than we did then. So it's yes, – it's I, I do. You know, there's there's a lot of great technology that's coming on board. I don't think that we should discount it. I'm, I'm not discounting any of it. I mean I'm sitting here with a phone in my hands. I agree with you. I'm not discounting any of it. I'm just saying there will be something that comes along that sparks the entire economy, and I just don't think it's it's come yet. Energy is good, tech is good. I'm not saying they're not good things, but you haven't. I'm just saying you haven't seen one thing come along that is going to be a big spark, and you've seen that in the past through a lot of these different, uh, you know, boom and bust cycles. That's all I'm saying. To get back to Steve's point about the economy and spending and Fed policy and all those things, I, I wanted to make this point. I think it's very interesting that. You have the Fed has rates at zero. Basically, it's free to, to borrow money. I mean, rates are ridiculously low. You still have people cautious about spending money. Yes, credit's growing. Yes, people are spending. But you still have people cautious about spending money. That's what those retail sales numbers show. And I, I, I think to an extent, we still have – it's almost like uh, you know after the Great Depression, you had depression babies, right? They were born in the shadow of the Depression, and it changed their habits. I think people's habits have been changed by what happened over the last five or six years, and people are not going to go out and just spend money recklessly or ambivalently. On stupid crap. I totally wonder. I w- yeah. really have w- wondered that myself, whether, whether, that, whether we're, we're changed as a as Yeah, a I think that's totally true. I think and, that's the other totally thing that, that's – because that's, we sort of root for retail sales numbers to go up because it helps the economy. But if you're giving advice to a friend, you don't tell them to go out and just – you know, pull I think, their credit card out of their wallet as fast as they can. I think people want to spend money. I think that the difference now is, is, you know, maybe maybe in the past, um, in, and here we're talking about sort of you know job market versus retail sales, and I think that the way it works now is first you get the jobs, and then you get the sales go up. And in the past, it was more like we get the sales go up, right? Oh, and then and then we'll uh, then we'll add jobs. So there's been this sort of right. standoff between uh, companies and consumers and, you know, companies are saying, well, spend and we'll hire. And consumers are saying, well, hire and we'll spend. And I, th- I think maybe the consumers have won out. Ever so slowly. Yeah. Yeah. It's taken a while. All right. Uh, That's a good place to end it. That was a good place to end it. But we're going to also talk about Warren Buffett briefly. Oh, Yes. Good, good topic. Warren Buffett. Berkshire Hathaway shares went over $200,000 for the first time ever. Aren't you glad that your dad bought that $1,000 worth of Berkshire Hathaway when you were born? Well, we were just talking to a guy. (laughs) (laughs) Not not my dad. Eric, we were just talking to a guy on the phone who who, who says that that. he did. He he heard about this company, read about it in the paper in the 70s, and he went out and and bought one share. (laughs) And And it was 1000 bucks then. Uh, it was something like that. Yeah, yeah. It, it, he's yeah, d- he, he's done well for himself otherwise. Right. Put it that way. <laughs> yeah. but, um, and he's still got the one share. But um, man, that that uh, it's an interesting company. Well, it, you know, here's what's so fascinating. We wrote this post, but I, I want to ask you the question, Eric. Yeah. Why on earth has Warren Buffett not split that stock? 
Why is it still the next highest priced stock in the market right now is a company called Seaboard Corp, which is about a twenty eight hundred ish dollar stock. Expensive to, or, or, or let's, high priced. Let's put it that way. Twenty hundred dollars. Berkshire Hathaway's cl- Class A shares are over two hundred thousand dollars. Well, it's ridiculous. Well, there are the, the class, but there are other the, there, there are, the there other, are other classes. The I to know. Your question I know. Is in the way you phrased it, there is the Class B share as well, which is now one one fifteen hundredth. <laughs> of a class A oh share. Oh my god. Geez. Because I mean first of all he created those uh, when was it, it? In the 90s. 96 yeah, I, was, I believe. I, I thought, yeah, you're right. 96. It, because these uh, guys were trying to create sort of like a mutual fund type thing where the, you would you could buy into their fund and have ownership of a slice of a class A share. So he said I'll create these class Bs so you can't do that. Um and then he split them again with the Burlington Northern acquisition in 2010. So now they're one one hundred and fifteenth. Did I say that right? One thousand five hundred would be the. <laughs> it's just ridiculous. Whichever uh, one it is, <laughs> the denominator there. But it, it, so he doesn't have to because the reason you split the stock is to create liquidity for the shares, make it possible for people to get in and out, and you can do that with the Class Bs. So he's got his Class As that he owns a huge chunk of those, and he's you know. When he gets when he donates them to charity, by the way, he converts them into class Bs. Mm. Every year he has That's these big donations he makes, and he converts them to Bs. So the the liquidity for the Bs keeps growing just by that that single action. Um, so so he's he said for for decades that that his identity is tied up in the value of the the class A shares and the value of the the class A shares. You know, every time it passes a milestone, we write about it and and you you can bet Warren Buffett was very happy yesterday when it oh, yeah. well it, it, and I have to say I mean the one the one nice thing about never splitting right is that you get to really see how that's true it's a great how point. phenomenal yeah. he has done and what a phenomenal investor he is and I mean it's just right I mean usually usually with these guys have great streaks and stuff like that you can sort of like you can run a calculation. You can say, "Look, there was someone was going to be that good, right? Just rolling the dice. Someone was going to be that good, and he's beyond that, right? Mm-hmm. He's like, he's like, he's like, uh, you know, winning the NCAA bracket. You know, like the bet that, uh, you know, that everybody thought that, you know, they were actually going to win. He insured, that he insured, by the way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but we and we looked in the post. I don't have the post in front of me right now, but just sort of the the time frame of. All the different milestones for the stock price, it, it, and so it crossed above a thousand in the early eighties, eighty two. Is that uh, right? We, we shouldn't be pulling this out of our booties. Yeah, yeah, but, we, uh, we can get that. But you know, but you're right. Getting to your point, Justin, the fact that he has this really shows. And if you look at that stock chart, aside from the financial crisis, I mean, it really is just essentially gone straight up. It, it, it's pretty It's pretty amazing. Now, it, the stock did drop about 51% during the crisis, so it fell a little bit more than the broad market, which, and I, for whatever that's worth. And but it had some the soft reason parts. that it fell. It did have, yeah. it, no, it did have some soft parts, sure. Yeah. But, I mean, for the, by and large, though, it's yeah. still been a one-way ticket higher. The, the, and it is very closely linked to the U.S. economy, so it makes sense that it would fall when the economy stumbled. But the other reason that drove it so low so fast in 2008-2009 was that Buffett had these uh, derivative bets that he sold. Uh, He sold protection to other people to protect against declines in the stock market. Now, 
they still haven't – they only pay out if they're in the money when they mature. And I think the first one matures in 2018. So that's, that issue is completely gone again because um, they're, they're nowhere near being in the money. But at the time, people were freaking out about it and really they didn't quite understand it for the most part. They and, and they were freaking out because it, it, there's a huge insurance component of, of Berkshire Hathaway and there was a big insurer. They got in a lot of trouble during the financial mm. crisis. That's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but it didn't get in trouble for insurance. No. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there were a lot of things that people had to learn more about Berkshire in order to feel more comfortable again about it um, in the financial crisis. So Berkshire now market cap north of three hundred billion. It's north. It's around three hundred thirty billion now, I, I right, believe, yeah. Yeah. Uh, which would make it, it, it. It's certainly in the top ten biggest companies in the U.S. I believe it's, I it's number five, five right yeah, now. Yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah. And it really is uh, Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger, two guys who have done the lion's share of the work there to assemble that company. There's lots of people who have done a lot of very good work to build the individual companies in it. But he's the people, he's the guy who found those companies and brought them into the family. You think we'll see, uh, what's next? What's the next milestone? 250,000, 300,000. I mean, this is just funny money now. This is, this is, this is crazy. It's silly. Who knows how far it goes? Yeah. And how long they will keep the shares at this without splitting it. If Warren Buffett is no longer with us at some point in the future. That's a good point too. Yeah, yeah. So. It's sort of like uh, you think of it like like Apple. I mean, exactly. Apple did split its stock under Steve Jobs, but it it didn't, it didn't for, for a long it didn't time, for right? a really long time. Yeah. And yeah. then you know, shortly after his passing, three years after his passing, they split it this year. So, yeah. yeah. So. Are we going to end on that down note? Uh, I would say we could talk about the Mets, but that would also be another down <laughs> note. I don't know. All right. <laughs> well, thanks, guys. There's be something good going on out there. <laughs> Oh, we don't have to end on an up note. <laughs> no. This has been Eric Holm with Justin Lehart, Steve Russolillo, and Paul Vigna, who stepped out a few minutes ago. <laughs> Thanks for joining us. And now this. Wix.com lets you easily create a beautiful professional website for free. With hundreds of stunning templates, cool features, and popular apps, you can get your business online today. Start now at Wix.com. That's W-I-X dot com.